Well, as the children are heading out, I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 1 this morning. Between the baptism at 8.30, the baptism this morning, and the, the song, I think our preciousness meter is on full. Uh, the Lord has truly been gracious and kind to us uh, to bless us with these little ones. And this morning we continue our study of the book of Hebrews in which we look at Hebrews as a testimony that Jesus is better. That Jesus is better. And in particular, in chapter 1 of Hebrews, we are coming to this argument that Jesus is better than the angels. Now, from all biblical accounts, it seems as though it would be easy to make the mistake to worship angels. You see, unlike the little fat-winged babies that we call angels, the real angels were majestic and terrifying creatures. They could take different forms, but we learn that they might take the form of an eagle or an ox or a lion or even have a human face. Some are covered in eyes. Some angels have multiple sets of wings. Some appear just as regular human beings. Some appear to be spectacularly large. And it's no wonder that when people encounter angels, they tend to become disturbed and to fall down and to offer worship. Often the very first words that we see recorded in Scripture when humans encounter their human counterparts is fear not. Why? Because people are scared when they see an angel. When the Apostle John received his vision of heaven as recorded in the book of Revelation, he writes that when he saw the angel, quote, I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus Worship God. Now, God created us with this unavoidable impulse to worship. That is to perceive, to evaluate, and to express. You take a sip of coffee and you taste that bold, caffeinated, nutty flavor. And especially on a day when you lose an hour, you say, ah, that is good. Or when you go to a hotel and you try to log on to their free Wi-Fi and you get five minutes of buffering, you go, ah, this is horrible. And you encounter a majestic spiritual being that is not of this world. What do you do? You fall down in fear and you say, you are worthy. At the very core of what makes us human is this dynamic of worship. It is this process of evaluation and expression. We see something and our heart responds to it. And then we live it out in our actions, in our words. In the book of Genesis, we read that humans were created in the image of God. And as image bearers, what we were meant to do by our creation was to behold the glory of God treasure it in our hearts 
and then express that in our lives. That is what it means to be created in the image of God, is that we are to mirror forth to the world the glory and beauty of God. And as in perceiving the divine, sensing His value and worth in our hearts and expressing His worth in our words and actions, that we find the greatest fulfillment of what we were created to be. And therefore, when we fail to worship the one true God, it leads to all manner of confusion and unrighteousness. Paul, in the opening chapter of Romans, is making this very point when he says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forevermore. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Worship is no small matter. And when we worship the wrong thing, we end up becoming something less than what God created us to be. For Paul continues to explain That it is wrong worship that led directly to the practice of homosexuality. And then he builds upon that and he continues and he explains that those who worship the creation rather than the creator were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliceness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Do you think he's trying to say something? If we worship the wrong thing, then we fall into absolute brokenness. I know that we look at the moral corruption of our age and we wonder, how is it that we got here? And what is the right path forward? And while we might point to many culprits and a variety of solutions, the one main and central issue that our culture must confront is the issue of worship. What do we value above everything else? Do we worship the creature or do we worship the creator? Because what the Word of God teaches us is that if we worship anything less than the one true God, then we will end up in a spiral of brokenness and sin. Even if we worship the most glorious of spiritual creatures, the angels themselves, we still miss the mark. But if we would worship rightly, we must offer our worship to the Creator, even to the Lord Jesus Christ. So hear now the word of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 1 and read through verse 9. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him of the angels. He says he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, as we come to you on this morning, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we might see Christ, that we might judge within our hearts rightly that he is worthy, and that we might with our lives and our words proclaim his worth as we live for his honor and glory and enjoy him now and forevermore. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. The word of God is extremely clear on this point. It's almost too evident to even say that we are to worship God alone. The very first commandment in the Ten ten Commandments is, you shall have no other gods before me. Monotheism, the worship of the one true God, is at the very center of what the Word of God is teaching us. When the Lord Jesus Christ was in the wilderness, he was being tempted by Satan, and Satan said to him, if you would merely bow down and worship me, I will give you all of the world. But Jesus responded and said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. God alone is to be worshipped. Now, in verse 5 of our passage for this morning, we read the author of Hebrews' beginning argument for why it is that we are to worship the Son above the angels. We read, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Now, these two different Old Testament passages are supporting the truth that Jesus Christ is unique in his relationship to the father as a son. The angels are glorious beings, but they are created beings. However, Jesus is unique in that he is not a creature, but he is God's very son himself. Just in verse 2, we read that it is through Jesus that all things were created. Then in verse 3, we read that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory in the exact imprint of his nature. And now we read that Jesus is the Son of God. 
He is qualitatively different than all of creation. The first quote that we read comes from Psalm 2. And there the Lord has promised to the king of Israel that he will make the nations his heritage. And the second quote comes from the book of 2 Samuel 7, where the Lord is making a covenant with King David. David wanted to build a temple for the Lord in Jerusalem. But through the prophet Nathan, the Lord says to David, you're not going to build me a house. I am going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a kingdom and it's going to be an everlasting kingdom. And then he says, and one of your sons I will adopt as my son and of his kingdom there will be no end. You see, the saints of the Old Testament knew that a special king was coming from the line of David. And they called this promised king the Messiah or the Christ, which means one who is anointed as king. And yet the promises of the Old Testament were fulfilled in a manner that was not clearly seen until the Christ arrived. Namely, that Christ would come from the line of David according to the flesh. Yes, but that he would be the son of God according to the spirit. That is to say, the messianic king had the nature of humanity and the nature of divinity in one person. You see, in the person of Jesus Christ, there is joined together these two natures. They're not mixed together. They're not compromised. They're not confused. As I explained in my seventh grade Sunday school class, talking about the nature of Christ, it's not like chocolate milk. You don't take a little chocolate and a little milk and mix it together and get something new. You don't mix divinity and humanity and then get Jesus. No, they are joined together, but the divinity does not change the humanity and the humanity does not change the divinity. They are brought together in one person. And this is the truth that is being displayed here in Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus is superior to the angels because he possesses the fullness of deity bodily. He is the son of God. He is the exact nature and substance of the one true God. And therefore, to worship rightly, to worship the one true God, we must worship Jesus Christ. The disciples came to understand this truth when Jesus calmed the storm upon the sea. As you remember, they were out on the sea and a storm suddenly came and arose and they thought that they were going to be drowned because of the waves that were coming over them. And then the Lord Jesus spoke and it was calmed. And then we read, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. Now remember, God alone is to be worshipped. When the angels were worshipped, they said, don't do this. Worship God alone. But when Jesus was displayed as the Son of God and His disciples worshipped Him, He did not stop them. Because it was right for them to worship Him as God because He is the Son of God. And this is no mere isolated incident. When Jesus healed a leper, the leper returned and offered worship to Jesus and he accepted it. 
When he healed the blind man, he was worshipped by this man who was formerly blind and he accepted it. Following the resurrection, Jesus was worshipped by his disciples and he didn't say stop doing that worship God. No, he received that worship. And when he ascended into heaven again, the disciples worshipped him. And if we would rightly worship, we too must worship the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the son of God. He is not God's first creation. He is not God's favorite human being. He is not some exalted angel. No, the Lord Jesus Christ is by very nature the one true God. He is the sovereign, eternal, everlasting, almighty God. And only worship that is offered through the Son of God is right worship of God. We have to understand this truth. Jesus Christ is God. Therefore, if you do not worship Jesus, you do not worship rightly. Sometimes I feel like we are a bit confused on this point. We think that as long as someone believes in a divine being, as long as they are monotheistic, that they're on the right path. They have a little bit of truth. And while, yes, there are falsehoods that are closer to truth than others, if you do not worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you do not worship God at all. Muslims, modern-day Jews, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, they do not worship the divine Christ, and therefore they do not worship God. Liberal Protestants, who speak as though they believe in God, have abandoned the true faith a long time ago. The very event that sparked the founding of our denomination was the examination of a candidate for ministry. Somebody wanted to become a pastor. And when the candidate was asked if he believed that Jesus was the divine Son of God, he replied, I cannot affirm that that is true. And they said, okay, you can still be a pastor. You can still lead the worship of God's people even though you don't know who the one true God is. That's okay. They proceeded to ordain him. And this is the rot that is in the church today. There are pastors, there are churches, there are denominations that do not affirm that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is God himself. And we look out at all of the false teachings that are coming out. And we might say, man, how is it that a church could get to the place where they would marry a same-sex couple? How could they get to a place where they would fly the rainbow flag out in front of their church? But that is so far downstream. We should not be surprised that the church is going there because they've abandoned the central truth that Jesus Christ is God a long time ago. And that is the central issue. If we don't understand that by his nature, Jesus Christ is the son of God and therefore worthy of all our worship, then we will fail to rightly worship at all. For God desires all of his creatures to worship his son, to worship Jesus Christ. One of the things that has 
become very popular over the last couple of years. I don't remember this being such a big debate when I was growing up, but it feels like we're always debating who is the goat, who is the greatest of all time, particularly in basketball. Whole programs are dedicated to evaluating the different players, how how much they scored, their defense, their championships, and trying to bring it all together and say, okay, according to the numbers and the accolades, who is the greatest of all time? And you have names thrown out like Wilt Chamberlain and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You have LeBron James and Michael Jordan. And you can debate uh, over all of these numbers. But I think probably the best way of getting to the bottom of it isn't just looking at the numbers, it's asking the great players themselves, who do you think is the greatest? When you were playing, who was the person that you feared the most going against? And as we consider the question of who we are to worship, we should look to see who the greats worship. I don't mean the great human beings. That would not be a good guide. But rather, who do the angels themselves render worship unto? Look at verse 6 of our text. There we read, And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. This again is a quote from the Psalms. There we read the broader context The heavens proclaim His righteousness and all the people see His glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship Him, all you angels. Now, is the role of the angels to worship the one true God? They serve the one true God. We read in the book of Isaiah that they fly around the throne of God proclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. They worship God enthroned in heaven. But here we see that the angels who worship God alone are specifically commanded to worship the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Later in the book of Revelation, we read the words of John. When he says, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Who is the greatest? Who is deserving of all glory? To whom did the greatest spiritual beings in this universe render their praise? They don't worship themselves. They don't worship creation. They do not glory in their own beauty and power. Rather, they proclaim the glory and the wisdom and the power of the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And how much more should we Render worship to the Lord Jesus. How much more should we who are weak and corrupt and full of ignorance and full of death see the worth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and proclaim His praise with all of our being? You see, we live in a world that obscures the glory of Christ. 
a world that has no place of honor for the Creator. Rather, we have looked into the mirror and we have fallen in love with ourselves, with the creature. We have placed the creature at the center of our praise. Why has the world around us fallen so rapidly into corruption? Because our worship is amiss. We have aimed it at the wrong target. And now everyone believes that they are worthy of the honor of God themselves. That they have the right to be praised and celebrated no matter their actions. It is no accident that pride has become the word associated with the most degenerative of actions in our society. Because it is pride that is at the very heart of failure to worship the one true God. Oh, Christian. We must worship Christ alone. Stop with the vain attempts to find satisfaction in the glory of the creature. For to which human being has the Lord ever commanded that we would worship? No one is worthy. No one but the Lord Jesus Christ is deserving of our praise. You see, if we would live according to God's purpose for us, we cannot give our worship to anything less than the one true God. We were meant to see His glory, to love His glory, and to express His glory. And as we do that, we live out our purpose. However, if we give our worship to anything besides the Creator, we begin to fall into all manner of brokenness. The first thing that we saw in our text is that we must worship Christ because of his divine nature. He is God and therefore we must worship him as God. Second, we saw that we must worship Christ because of his divine honor. The angels themselves worship nothing less than the glorified Christ. And the third thing that we see is that we must worship Christ alone because of his divine work. Look down at verses 7 through 9. We read, He makes His angels winds and His ministers of flame of fire. But of the sun, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of Your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, Your God, has anointed You with the oil of gladness beyond Your companions. There's a few things to note from these verses. First, the author again quotes the Old Testament. He is rooting all that he is saying in Scripture itself. You see, Scripture is the ground upon which we must stake our claim for truth. And even a Holy Spirit-inspired author is at pains to show that what he is writing about the Lord Jesus Christ comports with the rest of God's Word. This isn't something new. He isn't making this up. This is rooted in Scripture itself. Second, in verse 7, the author highlights the exalted work of the angels. Look there, it says that they are powerful like the wind and they are like a flame of fire. You see, he is not exalting Christ by degrading angels, right? He's like, don't worship angels. There's nothing to worship about them. Worship Jesus. No, he says, the angels are like a mighty wind. They're like a flame of fire. And Jesus is better. 
Third, we see that the author exalts the work of Christ above all else, even declaring that God Himself calls His Son God. Look again at this amazing statement in verse 8. The author takes this quote and he puts it within the mouth of God, saying that this is inspired by God Himself and The Lord says of the Son, God says of Jesus Christ, your throne, O God, is forever. Christian, never again need you doubt what the Bible says about the divine nature of Jesus Christ. God says of His Son, your throne, O God, is forever. Jesus Christ has the divine nature, the divine honor, and the divine work of reigning sovereignly over all nations forever. And this is the third reason we are given to worship the Lord Jesus Christ above the angels. That He is the King of kings, and He is the Lord of lords, and His reign is forever and ever. Now, it is not uncommon for humans to ascribe divine qualities to their leaders, to their kings. Civilization after civilization have looked to those in charge and given them titles and attributes of divinity. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Romans, they all bestowed upon their leaders a sense of deity. The kings of the Middle Ages claimed to have a divine right to rule and Modern communist dictators have abolished all religion and they claim the place of sovereign divine ruler for themselves. And while we do not call our president divine, nevertheless, we often look to the state and to the office of the president to give us the very thing that God alone can give to us. We put our hope in the state above our God. But Jesus Christ alone can give the complete enactment of justice, bringing righteousness to bear and destroying all that is wicked in this world. And therefore, we must give our worship to Jesus Christ alone because he alone has ruled with justice. The Bible teaches us that to establish his kingdom. He lived a life of perfect righteousness. And that he went to the cross To pay the penalty for sin. That as the king, he went to the cross that wickedness might be destroyed and justice might be enacted. He alone could accomplish this work. For he alone is God. He alone is pure and holy and powerful. He alone has value and worth that would make it so that he could offer a sacrifice that would satisfy the justice that should have been rendered against us in our sin. Yet he alone could accomplish this divine work because he is a man. No angel could die on our behalf. No angel could represent our fallen race. Jesus Christ alone, because he is fully God, could accomplish the work. And because he is fully man, could accomplish the work on our behalf. Because it was our blood that should have been shed. It was the sin of man that caused brokenness and death to come into this creation. But it was God's power that had to be brought to bear on that sin. 
And therefore on the cross, God the Son died so that whoever looks to Him in faith will go from death to life. We must worship Christ because He is the Lamb of God. He is worthy because He was slain and He rose again and He defeated death. Because Christ loved righteousness and hated wickedness to the point of shedding His own blood to ensure wickedness is destroyed and righteousness established forever and ever. We must worship Christ alone because He alone has accomplished the work of establishing this kingdom. Now as we go through God's Word, There's an interesting truth about worship that comes forth. And is that we become like those things that we worship. Whatever we aim our attention at and we judge to be good and to be worthy, our lives begin to reflect that. And so when we read about the Israelites as they waited for Moses to come down from Mount Sinai with the law, they began to worship a golden calf. And as they worship this golden calf, the attributes of this golden calf, this fake God, began to be displayed in their life. In particular, we read of the stubbornness of the people of God as they are described as stiff-necked people. This phrase, stiff-necked people, is kind of like a reference that we might use to say as stubborn as a mule. They became like this calf that they worshipped. They were obstinate. They were not willing to follow the Lord. In Psalm 135, this dynamic is explained more explicitly. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. If you trust in the idols of this world, if you offer your worship to them, then you are going to become like them. But this is true also of those who worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who worship the Lord will be transformed into His image. As we behold Christ in the Word of God, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds and we are conformed more and more to the image of the Son of God. You see, worship is not a secondary issue. It is a question of our ruin or our prosperity, our curse or our blessing, our destruction or life everlasting. If we worship the creation, we will become like the creation. We'll become weak and twisted and broken and full of death. Our sin will be multiplied upon us as we collapse into a spiral of ever greater sin and corruption, becoming ever greater iterations of our own brokenness. I think of it this way, if you've ever been somewhere, maybe a hotel, where they have mirrors on both sides of the wall. Ever experienced this? It's kind of interesting. You look into one and you see the mirrors reflecting back and forth and it looks like it goes on for eternity downward. When we worship ourselves, we look deeper and deeper and deeper 
into the brokenness of our own image. And we begin to live out that brokenness in ever greater and more destructive ways. But if we would turn our eyes away from the idol of self, and we would look upward to the Lord Jesus Christ, we would be delivered from this prison of going deeper and deeper into sin. And by trusting and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be risen out of death and we will be conformed unto the image of Christ, even what we were created to be. For we were created in the image of God and it is the image of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we are to look that we might be conformed into that image. What do you worship? What do you value above all else? Because of His divine nature. Because of His divine honor. Because of His divine saving work. I implore you, Christian. Worship the Lord Jesus Christ alone. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you and we confess that so often we are dazzled by the creation and not the Creator who brought it into being. Would you break our gaze that we have placed upon ourselves and turn our eyes upward that we might rightly worship you, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in your name we do pray. Amen.